Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Welcome to the ODI. I'm Hannah Folds. I'm Head of Marketing and Membership. Thanks for coming in today. It's a real pleasure to welcome Jonathan Stoneman here. He's um, a former journalist and trainer at the BBC and trainer here at the ODI. Um, and uh, I'm particularly interested in the subject you'll be talking about today, uh, why um, there are more journalists using open data. Um, as a journalist myself, as a freelance journalist, I've um, used open data in the past, so I'd be interested to, to see what your, your thoughts are. Um, just a bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Um, if you have any questions, please wait to the end, and when we hand you the mic, people watching on the live stream will be able to hear you. And uh, if you're watching on the live stream, please use hashtag ODI Fridays, and we'll read out your questions at the end. Over to you, Jonathan. Thanks very much. Right. Hello, everybody, um, all of you, um, and all of you joining us on the web. Um, I apologize, except I don't apologize, for a rather gloomy title to go with a rather gloomy, rainy day. Um, originally, I'd said to Hannah, it'd be fun to have a debate instead of a lecture. Um, we couldn't think of getting two people. We couldn't think which two people to get. So she said, well, why don't you just do it yourself? So um, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I'm talking about journalists. Um, and I'm being a little naughty, possibly arrogant, in saying I'm talking for all journalists. There are plenty of journalists doing work with data journalism and plenty of those using open data. Um, but why am I interested in journalists? Because if journalists don't use this stuff, then nobody will. Um, they are, if you like, the canary in the coal mine, that if things are working well and there's true transparency working, then journalists will be getting hold of the stuff that they need to inform us about what's going on. And if they don't do it, and if they don't talk about doing it, then the word will never get out um, that there is uh, data there for people to use. Um, so journalists are a, an important test case um, and it's vital that they're among the champions of, of open data, particularly open government data. And I'm going to talk specifically about Britain today. I did think about doing a sort of survey around the world and I thought it would just get too long and too complex and there are too many ifs and buts, but maybe we can look at that in another way another day. But I will use just one American, well, the American government website because they sum up the need for open data um, quite neatly, and you will see this kind of message repeated on other government data portals. So this, if you like, is the daddy, and it's, it's a most complete list. So why would you want open data? Well, they say there will be cost savings as a result. Uh, we may see that perhaps we haven't had those yet. It will bring greater efficiency. This and other things will be a fuel for business. This will then lead to improved civic services, informed policy, performance planning, research, discoveries. It's great. This list goes on and on. Transparency and accountability. And increased public participation, participation in the democratic dialogue. All vital things. And if journalists aren't involved in, in any of those, or many of those, then I don't think it'll happen. Um, so that is quite an important thing uh, to have. And you notice that none of that in mentions the media. Uh, and I've always said that open data has been conceived without much thought to what the media might do with it. The Economist um, did an assessment of, of the data revolution, as they called it, and asked this question, why, given the astonishing scale of the deluge, has not, more not been achieved? Well, they said that much of the data 
online was useless. It was hard to navigate. There aren't enough people who know how to mine it and find the insights in it. And there were some anxieties about privacy. Um, if you look for the, if you want to read the article, um, it's still available online, uh, but it does date from November 2015. But those warning signs were there, and it was a very well thought out long piece, um, just around the time, in fact, of an ODI summit, if you remember your dates right. Um, so what's been going on? Well, here we are. Here's the Open Data League table from the uh, Open Knowledge Foundation, the Global Open Data Index. And there's Britain right at the top with a score of 94% for openness. Um, most things glowing green. So what's the problem? Well, that's 2013. In 2017, we've dropped to third place. And obviously, there are lots of people doing worse than us. And third, you know, bronze medal, not too bad. But just look at those red um, blobs that have occurred Election results is now completely red. Locations has got a, a sort of red and green sandwich. Water quality data, is, government spending has got a big red blotch in it, and land ownership's got three red blotches in it. Um, procurement is still not 100% there, and national laws are not uh, as open as they could be. So we dropped from 94% to 79%. And that, for me, sums up uh, quite a lot of what's going wrong. If you take a, a a, a top-down look at what's going on with uh, the UK's open data, it's getting worse compared to other people, not better. And you'd think we would, you know, we'd be getting good at it by now. Um, another thing, and all the data I've taken from, for today's talk is from data.gov.uk. Data um, I am, as a journalist, going to ruthlessly quote things out of context and cherry-pick all the worst stats <laughs> to make you realise that there is a problem. Um, but that's what journalists do. And that's probably why they didn't want to give journalists a heads up that there was going to be a lot of open data. So, you know the five-star system, the, the Tim Berners-Lee stars. Uh, I'll remind you, because I had to remind myself. Um, well, first of all, I'll just say that if you look across the whole of DataGov UK, uh, there are only 184 um, five-star data sets. It's not a great number. When you think there's about... I can't remember how many thousand, 40-something 40, 40 thousand that they're including in their, their own self-survey. So, stuff that you make available on the web at all, 1,022, so that's one star. Two stars, you make it available as structured data. So making your stuff available includes PDFs. It includes images of receipts. It includes pictures, stuff that you can't really look at um, and analyze yourself other than just looking at it. Uh, or you have to do other things to it to make it usable. Making it available structured data, so putting it in some kind of Excel spreadsheet or a CSV file or something, 1830. Then making it usable as a CSV file, and that's an encouraging number. We're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. But when you see the total number of, of, of uh, data sets that they're examining, that 15,000 isn't quite as good as it looks at this point. How many four stars? None. So using unique reference indicators in them so that you can say uh, a particular building gets referred to in one way and then you can look at it uh, or a particular type of microphone or a particular saucepan has a reference so that you know you're look comparing like with like across 
uh, all the data. But none of those um, data sets on GovUK um, has uh, four stars. And the 184 that have five stars. But what about, that's, that's the five stars, what about no stars, i.e. not available, not released, unpublished, not open, all, the, all those various things qualify you to be in nil stars. 50, just under 51%, that's why I put the, the decimal point in, 50.9% of data.gov.uk's output has zero stars. And I think that explains a little bit why we've dropped down the, the rankings, the world rankings for open data. Um, that sort of thing is, and when you think how long, you know, it's about 10 years, nine or 10 years, and we haven't made that much progress I said, in, in a field where progress is really rapid. I think of some of the stuff that I first started looking at six years ago when I got into data and things I can do now for free with tools. And all the tools have moved on and are really, really quick. The data hasn't. So that came from data.gov.uk. And I'm going to carry on looking at several of the metrics that they've put on there because they tell us a lot. So how much usage? Well, of 36,500 data sets, just under 12,000 have never been downloaded by anybody, ever. So you have to ask yourself, is it the right stuff? 34,000, so a huge percentage, have been downloaded up to 10 times. That includes the first 12,000, but up to 10 times. So very niche market. If only 10, for the whole of Britain, only 10 downloads, not this year, not this month, but ever. It's not looking as if people are really, you know, there's a, there's a thriving marketplace of data out there. And how, how many do you think have had, had at the other end, have had more than 10,000 downloads? Anyone want to say a number that you think, having seen the, those numbers, if you want more than 10,000 downloads, how many do you think there might be data sets people have downloaded a lot? Well, it's 29. Not an inspiring number. A worryingly low number, in a sense, because it just shows lack of engagement. And then you look at, well, what is there? This is ordered, this is just, okay, I think I prepared this slide on Wednesday. Um, this is the top four data sets by recency of uh, updating. Okay, so that entry has been most recently updated. Well, it's a sort of hodgepodge. But now let's look in terms of, um, oh, I beg your pardon, it's the wrong way around. That isn't recency, that is popularity. So planned roadworks, people do actually use planned roadworks. That has been downloaded a lot. Uh, and it's been updated a lot. Live traffic information, road safety data, though we'll come back to that, there is a big problem with road safety data. Um, those are the sort of things that people appear to be interested in. Those are the most popular by view, page views. Switch it round. These are the most recent. And this shows you the sort of randomness of what's popping up on, onto this site. Acoustic bat data in the Cairngorms. There is a data set I never thought I'd need and probably still don't. Um, and you see it's all... it's Wood-specific gravity for trees and payment to suppliers at Bassett Law District Council. That will be all spend over £500 in one month. But at least they've updated that recently. 
But it's, a, it's not a great, if you're, a, if you're new to data and some, some trainer like me says, go on then, go to data.gov.uk and you go and see what's the most recent um, upload, you look at this collection and it goes on like this. I mean, I only took a screen grab for the first four, but it's fairly representative of what's going on. It's, it's a hodgepodge of stuff. So, what about people asking for data? Because that shows the other thing. We've got supply and now we've got demand. So they tell us what's, what people have been asking for. And don't forget, this is asking gov.uk for data, not doing FOI requests, just saying that you can read these saying, I would like this, I need it for some research, I need it for homework in one case, I need it for um, my master's, uh, I need it because I'm building an app, all those sort of things. Now you would think if there was real engagement with open data, this number would be huge. But we've got 804 requests, not this month, but ever and 719 confidential requests, which, okay, nearly doubles it, but it's, that's 1,523 requests ever. And if you look at how frequently people are asking for it, you get um, the most recent one was asked for a month and three weeks ago, then the next one, seven months and one week, then a year and three weeks. So the third place in terms of how recently did anybody ask GovUK for data was one year and three weeks and another one and the fifth one is one year and three so the last you know, the last three out of the five the top five are all um, 55 weeks old it's not a feeling of a buzzing place where people go for data and where people are getting the data they want because then when you look at the responses requests by outcome the key one I think to look at in request by outcome on the left is Apple Green, new data set released. And I'm not going to step out of shot, but you can see it's the one at about 12 o'clock and it only lasts till just under, four, just under one o'clock. So it's a tiny sliver. Um, mind you, in terms of how people are engaged or not, things like not a data request or data issue is practically half that pie. In other words, people are saying, can I have data? And they go, well, it's not a data request. I mean, they're not saying, can I have data? They're making a request and it's not a data request. Um, and a lot of them are escalated to the data holder, saying, can we release this? Um, a tiny sliver is postponed, and there's nothing. And they've got a color for, uh, we've got scheduled for release, which is just before midnight on that. Um, but it's not, again, it's not a buzzing market of stuff coming and going, requests being acted on. People say, oh, I didn't know you wanted that data. We'll release it to you. No, no, it's all a bit civil service and oh, we can't do that because it's a Wednesday and there's an hour in the month and uh, that sort of thing. Um, and it wasn't a data request or it was a technical issue. So new data, new data set released as a result of people asking for it is a tiny proportion of what happens among those 1,523 requests. And who's doing it? A lot of it's private individuals, which part of me says, good, there was this idea that there are loads and loads of um, what uh, David Cameron called uh, armchair auditors or what Obama called when he was talking about open data in the States you guys he said on the stump can be my eyes and ears by using the data well there are people doing it I've always thought that the armchair auditors don't really exist but maybe there are quite a few you see startups you can see the sort of people that the ODI deals with public sector um, startups small to medium businesses and so on that's not too bad, but it's just, that's just a breakdown of who 
asked among those 1,523. So we're still talking about a small pie for a small market. When you think of a, you know, a country of nearly 60 million people, um, 1,523 requests since about 2008. It's not a lot. And where data is being released, this is one of my favorite examples, there was a time when there was, if you like, hope. 2010, beginning of the coalition government, Cameron had promised on the stump that he was going to be open, the most open government you'd ever seen, all that sort of stuff. So they published ministers' meetings, hospitality gifts, and overseas travel. Lovely. Okay. PDF files. We'll live, live with that. They're still PDF files. The trouble with this page, you know what I'm going to say? Anyone got ahead of me here? There is no more. They've stopped. That's all disappeared. There are some ministerial, you can look for ministerial gifts, but they're for specific departments, and there's not much in any department after 2015. So we're now, we've had two years, and this bright new future of let's release all this and be open, and then you can see who they're meeting, who they're getting presents from, how much the presents are worth, and so on. Um, and some of it's just amusing, of course, because you see they get given some ghastly ashtray that you're never going to see in public. But... The important thing is that lasted for one government term, and it stopped. The next election, 2015, boom, you almost see it switched off. And people made a big fuss about Trump and his team turning things off in the States and the EPA and everything, and lots of stuff being taken away, and lots of open data disappearing over a weekend. Well, we're not that great at it. We just do it slower here. It is disappearing. So, what about apps? Well, sorry, uh, yeah, apps. People are using data to make apps. Whenever, for the first couple of years I was involved with the ODI, the name CityMapper popped up in nearly every presentation as a great example of using open data. And it is. And it's one of those lovely seamless ones where the public who use CityMapper do not know that it's coming from open data. That's fine. So, okay, how many um, apps have been used in such a way that people are telling data.gov.uk that we've done an app? 422 ever. Okay, and there is a breakdown of what they involve. Transportation and location, so things to do with um, things like um, the Rightmove app, that uses open data, a mixture of open data and um, scrapes uh, um, uh, estate agent data and so on. Um, some of those rubrics are not very helpful, like society and, and so on, but health is there. There's some quite good stuff. Now, here's one of my big bugbears. 43 of them, 43 deal with road safety. 43, people, 43 companies or people have built apps that deal with road safety so that you can visualize the junction you've just passed, the junction you're coming up to, the junction just down the end of your road, and see how dangerous it is. But because of the unique way in which data is released in this country, the most recent data I can have, I could give, if you ask me for the data now on road safety, the best I can give you would take you up to the 31st of December 2015. And here we are in the second half of 2017, and it's actually late. Last year, the 2015 stuff appeared in July, August. We're now in September, and 2016 has still not appeared. Now, that is data that is pretty much live in the sense that when a policeman attends an accident, there's a lot of data they, they record, a huge amount of data. 
um, the type of car, the, the, all the circumstances, uh, the, dr the number of victims, whether it's fatal or not, the names of the roads, whether it was a caravan, whether it was an articulated lorry, who hit who, was a junction involved, was it traffic light controlled, everything, it's all in there. It's a fantastically rich data set. But it's not of any use to anybody except historians of the British road system, because it's, it's, it's now, what are we? It's now 21 months out of date. No, only sort of serious academic researchers are going to be happy with that delay. Uh, and they probably won't be that happy with it. So all these apps are great. You can find out exactly what's going on down your road, frozen in time up to the end of 2015. I don't think that's good enough. And I'll come back to why I think, what I think might be done about it later. There are some success stories. Open Corporates is a, is a brilliant site you know, the, the, you know, the world of open data and scraping that makes everybody's life easier. But my big but with this one, because you're going to get that there's a but with pretty much every slide, is lots of people don't know about it. I, I spend my professional life training journalists how to use data. And occasionally, no, not occasionally, in every session I will say to somebody, if not the whole group, have you used opencorporates.com? And the majority of people in the room will say no. They've never heard of it, they don't know what it is, and they need it. They're the sort of people who, who need that data or need that access to data that Open Corporates provides. And it's just not enough people out there who know about it. I am spreading the word, one person at a time. Another one that's a great um, site in its way, and this is probably one of the most sophisticated uses of open data there is, is openprescribing.net. Is anybody here aware of that one? What it does is, if you go to either data.gov.uk or one of the NHS um, digital websites, you can find uh, prescribing data. So how many of each pill and each medicine have been prescribed by surgery, by doctor's surgery across the country, with, by CCG, by surgery, by anything. And the trouble is that it's roughly four, four million items, lines of data per month. So it soon mounts up. So um, Ben Goldacre and his team managed to get £50,000 of grant money and they built this thing called Open Prescribing. And you can look by medicine, you can look by doctor's surgery. And the important thing is, the, the second part of this slide is, if I just click on, say, the surgery that I use, um, you get a little sort of automated essay that tells you for a particular, particular drug, I s it randomly seem to have got erectile dysfunction and ACE inhibitors. I don't even know what that is because I just clicked on the thing and it just gave me the top headline for a particular surgery. So what it's saying is, if you look at the, uh, the red line, that is this surgery, how they are doing on cost of prescribing that, that drug, whatever it is. Uh, the dotted blue line in the middle is the average. So what you want is to see that your surgery is below the average or on the average. You do not want to see, if you're a responsible taxpayer, you do not want to see that your surgery is above the line. And a lot of them are. There's one of the first tests that they did with this site was to look at um, statins because you can have brand name statins, which are really expensive, and you can have generic statins, which are really cheap, rather like when you buy you know, paracetamol in, in boots or whether you buy them with a, with a big name on them but on, on a much bigger scale. And so you can see at a, a point for quite a few surgeries where the line is high and then somebody gets an email or a memo and the line drops. 
because somebody suddenly wakes up and says, hang on a minute, we can, just, we can keep everybody on the same doses, just change the name and, and get the cheap stuff. Um, and the thing is that on each of these uh, little essays, it does an assessment. This top one says, this CCG was blah, 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 would have spent £28,545 less in the past six months if it had been prescribing in line with the median. In other words, there's a sort of straight piece of advice to the practice manager. If you prescribe in line with everybody else in the country, you will, you will save your practice £28,000 a year. And if you top this up drug after drug after drug, if you find particularly high spending surgeries, you can, you can get into the, the low numbers of millions for, for a surgery quite quickly. And I don't know who's using this. I did try to, I asked um, openprescribing.net and they very kindly, they told me that they have 46,000 unique users, so people with a log on, 46,000. Some of those will be hospitals and administrators and so on. It might be every practice manager in the country, but if so, I would expect those lines now to be falling everywhere because they're getting free advice. Spend less on this, you'll save 28,000 pounds. Spend less on this, 5,000 pounds etc 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 and you work your way through the list uh, maybe they are maybe they're working through the list so this is this is an example and, and it was touted early on as a, as a way things could be this is the if you like the armchair auditor at work that somebody has automated the system so that they're crunching through 700 million lines of data without you having to do it and then producing automatically this kind of narrative which is really really good this is this is how it could be so they had a quarter of a million page impressions last year, 46,000 uh, unique users. I did ask Ben Goldacre if, if there had been any signs of behavioral change, and he was very tight-lipped about it. Um, just said he wasn't going to let me cherry-pick um, anecdotes, so we left it at that. I think we parted as friends. Um, the BBC, among others, The Guardian, Telegraph, The Financial Times is doing a lot of data journalism. There is data journalism going on out there. Um, using open data. My, my big thing is open data. You don't need to do an FOI request. You can just grab it from the web. So CAA, you know, Civil Aviation Authority, um, delay data was turned into stories about, well, it was turned into a sort of online app of, you know, if you were planning to go to Spain with, with a particular airline, how good or bad would your experience be in terms of delay? But you can also then see in a more top top-down view of, of Britain, which are the worst airports to fly from, which are the worst airports to fly back to, because that's a slightly different story, the ones with the most delays and so on. So that was this summer, uh, and they've done that. Um, in case you didn't know, it was uh, Gatwick. And they've done it very responsibly. It's, it's not just total delay, it's delays as a percentage of the flight time. So it's no good, so, you know, a 10-minute delay from Los Angeles is peanuts, but a 10-minute delay from Paris is a bit more, you know, that sort of thing. But Gatwick doesn't score very highly in terms of reliability, except you can rely on it to be late. Um, now, one of the things to look outside Britain, so this is what, again, rather like what open prescribing has done for health data. Map light, the map does not mean a map, it means money and politics, and it sheds a light on money and politics. Look at the different things you can do this. You can look at congressional bills. You can look at how much companies, lobbying companies have spent. You can look at profiles of elected officials and look at their finance for campaigns. You can do your own research with their data. This is combining data in the way it should be done. This is you know, big scale scraping, 
pulling in things from congressional records. So it would be like taking Hansard and if an MP mentions a specific concept or company or policy, you can then match up with the lobbying for it will match up with the lobbying firm in the States to see who he's kind of speaking on behalf of or who he played an expensive round of golf with last week or who he's just had dinner with. So if you see a, uh, a congressman speaking in favor of um, a particular example of health insurance, you just want to look, you go into this and you say, oh, it will actually map back to the fact that he's had dinner with a spokesman from that company and that sort of thing. But we do not have that kind of concatenation of data going on where you're mixing um, Hansard, uh, MPs records, uh, register of interests, all that sort of stuff. They're all there, but nobody's pulled them together. A lot of the registers of interests are done on PDF files, so there's another step to do to get them anywhere. But this is the, again, this is what's possible and what's not happening in this country. Um, and it's, if you like, the fact that it's not happening is a, a worrying trend, a trend of nothingness. This is another example of how open data, this is, I'm pushing my meaning of open data a little bit here. This was a brilliant piece of research done by BuzzFeed in the States, where they used Flight Radar 24, which is after all open data in its way, um, but they, they asked, they did an API to get into to Flight Radar and they, they looked for specific patterns of flying by given aircraft, spending a certain amount of time in a certain area circling. They used, they found, they used various algorithms to find planes that have been circulating, nothing to do with waiting to land at an airport, flying around doing surveillance over people's houses in, uh, I've forgotten which city it was, somewhere in Arizona, I think. Um, you know, the amount of data was huge and they crunched a lot to get one or two cities. Imagine across the states. But this was using open data about aircraft to, to work out where the odd ones are. And this is partly, I have to admit, um, American open data is even more open than you would hope for. So you can find an awful lot of stuff in it. I'm not sure we would quite have the equivalent. And I'm not arguing we could have the equivalent here. But this is an example of where journalists do get the bug. They do get some idea of all the automation they can do. There, is, there are stories, quite disturbing stories to be had with open data. This is a great example and it's well worth reading. Um, so what, my, my final couple of points really is I would like to see this kind of release of data, the nodding donkey, where data, crude, raw data is being pumped out of the ground and onto a desktop near you all the time, anytime you want it. What we are actually getting, if you go to data.gov.uk, is the petrol forecourt. It's been nicely produced, it's been refined. Some of it comes at a price. Some of it's unleaded, although you asked for leaded. Or some of it's diesel when you wanted petrol. Um, and you can't convert one to the other. And it's a far cry from the, the nodding donkey. The nodding donkey is what we want. The petrol forecourt is what we've got and we get what we're given. We buy what's available because it's available, not because it's what we actually want. So I'm hoping for a huge audience where we could have the, the other half of the debate that I said to Hannah months ago that we ought to have a debate, uh, for those of you who missed the beginning. Um, so these are my sort of questions in the debate. You know, what I think in Britain we need to create the nodding donkey. I think we need to be able to get data coming out of the ground and onto our laptops and desktops in 
any way we want it so that we can look at it, manipulate it, build an app around it, use it. And we're not getting that. I think it's time to have what I would call a meta-hackathon. There's no good having a hackathon. Well, you can have a hackathon about a particular theme, housing data or whatever, health data. But I would like to have a hackathon about data. I'd like people who release it to meet people who use it and people who don't use it. And I'd like them to talk about what they really want, because I don't think either side understands themselves. And I'd like journalists to be involved in that, because I don't think a lot of journalists know what's possible as well. They would have a view. I think it's time to build real user groups, um, not just nicely government-appointed ones, but user groups with people who actually say, this isn't working for me, in the most selfish, but also the most organizational sort of way. This is not working. We can do better, and we will continue to slip down that league table if we're not careful. I suppose I should have put this first, but it was the least sexy. Increased data literacy. I think there's an awful lot of people who know nothing about data and need to. And I would stick data literacy right in the national curriculum and keep it there. Uh, I'd love to see kids being um, sort of spreadsheet capable from an early age and very able to use pivot tables and what have you. And be interested to sort of download data sets. Um, not just take you know, school league tables, for example, if we're talking about kids, school league tables are the, are the forecourt petrol pump of data. I want the nodding donkey of education data. And so I'm going to stop there because otherwise I'll just depress everybody. But I think I've had my rant, I've had my, my uh, day in the sun. And I hope there'll be some questions, comments, you can fire back at me, you know, deny some of the stuff, refute some of the stuff that I've attempted to say. But I'd really like there to be a debate. And I'd really like, I think if I had one thing come out of this, it would be the meta hackathon. I would love there to be a proper big get together about where we're going with open data, because I don't think it's necessarily the right direction. And I will stop there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, if you've got any questions, if you'd like to put your hand up. Um, and uh, I'll pass you the mic, but just so you know, so that people watching the live stream can hear you. Uh, so you, your voice won't get any louder when you speak into it, just, just a warning. Um, and if you're watching from the live stream, please use hashtag ODI Fridays and we'll read out your question. So I'll start over here. Hi, uh, my name is Jan. Yeah. Uh, I, I work for op uh, open data portals actually uh, in developing countries, one in Myanmar and one. Uh, based in the UK, but for Iran, mm -hmm. and I, uh, it's really eye-opening because from the side of someone publishing open data, there's all these flaws that you see, but when you're in the thick of it, you don't see that like this is really quite useless for a lot yeah, of people absolutely. out there. Right? So I have two questions actually. One is uh, uh, regarding the the incentivize the the way the funding for open data incentivizes this kind of published uh, this kind of processes, right? So a lot of funding, especially funding for open data in developing countries is project-based. Uh, they want to have the open data portal set up and say, okay, you have to have 100 data sets out. So the, the incentive is to have those 100 data sets out. And then to prove that it's being used, you want to have like five apps are created to showcase and then you know, 100, like you know, five articles published. And then once those targets are hit, nothing happens anymore, yep. right? So, that's, so how do we, what do we do to change that? And another question is, uh, of course, a lot of open data uses very standardized software like CCAN. Uh, and, uh, for example, a lot of UK open data sites use yep. uh, this software. And it for pigeons holes uh, data publishing into certain ways. It's kind of, I, I think CCAN was originally developed for kind of academic data sharing, right? Uh, so when you talk about the, the, the sites that use open data effectively, like open corporates or open prescribing, they have very customized 
interfaces and ways of publishing that suits the, their data, right? Uh, whereas CCAN is just like, here's a uh, CSV, here's a data set, blah, 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 and never, like the search is horrible and everything mm. else. So how much is the software hindering uh, the process of like getting open data usable for, for journalists as well? I think a lot, and I'll take you back one step, it's not even just, I think you're right, you, you see these generic, you can sort of see that the same consultants visited this country and that country and that country, and they've all got the same interface, which is nice in one way, but a little bit disturbing in another. And the, it took me until, I suppose, last year sometime, I suddenly thought, the data sets I most use and like using are the ones where I, they're not uploaded as a ready-made Excel or CSV file. They're things that I create by download the data now. So I do all my filtering and, and I grab something and that says export the data. So I get what I ask for now. And I get it pretty much as it were live. Uh, a good example is Electoral Commission. Um, a lot of the stuff around uh, donations to political parties and spending by political parties in this country is as up-to-date as the last time they were told what the, the commission was told what was going on. So presumably within the last three or four weeks. So it's pretty live. Um, and the health data, the prescribing data is pretty, you know, it's only a month behind, that sort of stuff, where you can go in and say, I want to know about this, this and this, click download. Somehow we need to incentivize that because otherwise you're spending all your effort designing some nice thing and just some poor civil servant somewhere has either got to do it by hand or automate a thing that goes upload every month. Let's upload know, um, inspections of the nuclear plants, so let's upload school inspections or league tables. So I don't know what the incentive is because it, it isn't necessarily money. I think it's about that reality check of this is what the people need to meet the people, you know, you release data for a, uh, an unseen customer, you need to meet that customer and say, what do you do with it? Well, I don't do anything with it. I didn't know it existed. Oh, right. So there's a step we've forgotten. Um, as my Eldest daughter said recently, she, she works in the charity sector and she, and she had a little presentation on open data. She said, I never got the memo about open data, sort of joking. And she knows I work with open data all the time. You know, there's lots and lots of people in fields. They're not just armchair auditors. There are people working in fields where data would be really helpful to them and they don't know anything about it. They don't come to ODI Friday. They don't know what the ODI is. And I've always been struck that when the ODI summit is on, you can see the rest of London going about its business. And there's this tiny little sort of very animated little global village sitting in one place in the uh, National Film Theatre um, talking about data and nobody else cares and it always slightly worries me. Um, so I don't know what the incentive is. I think it's, it clearly isn't one of those things where if you build it they will come because only that number of people have come and I'm not sure at what point you arrive but an awful lot of people are not using the data and there's an awful lot of data that's not being used. So we've got to talk basically. That's, that would be my starting position. If we can then find a nice incentive system that works, let's do that. But the beginning is, let's find out what each side wants. What do you want to release? What have you got? What do you want? Why do you want it? Keep talking and build something that way. I think it's gone, it's been very top down and there was a lot of good stuff. And like the di disappearance of, you know, ministerial gifts is that somebody's collecting that data. So why aren't they releasing it? Sorry, that was a very long rant about it. <laughs> Thank about you. That good, yeah. Any more questions? Anna, do we have anything on Twitter? Uh, yeah, there's one. There's one. Um, hi, so ODI Leeds ask if Stone people, i.e. you, yes. wants uh, live raw data for us to manipulate directly, how will we get the skills to do it? To do the... I'm not sure who the we are in that, but... Um, 
Yeah, that's the problem. Would we get the skills to release it or to use it? To manipulate directly. So I suppose it's... Well, I'd go right back down to, you know, it's data literacy and school and everything. I mean, what is interesting, and ODI leads is, is, a, is a great example. I should be looking at the camera, not you, sorry. Um, but it's a great example of, you know, there are lots of people with skills coming out of the woodwork. Some of them have built those skills, some of them uh, already had them, and some of them have, have learned on the job. And that's, that is a case of if you build it, they will come. They, there will be stuff to do. But you've got, it's more, my, my big beef is about what kind of data is being released. I think having the skills to do it, people will build the skills as they need them, I say optimistically. But uh, they, it, it can, it, it's shown that it can be done. There are people out there. But I think there should be a big drive on data liter literacy um, at, a, at a pretty young age that people don't think, oh, it's statistics, it can, you can manipulate anything. No, no. Understand, this is what you do, this is what you can do with it, this is what you, where you get it from, and this is how it can help you. And just making people aware in, in local, little ways, all the things that they can, they can do, like procurement, like uh, um, government procurement, local government procurement, local government spending, there's all sorts of things you can find out about what's going on in your area, if you've got those basic skills. But you, yes, they're quite right, you need those basic skills. Hi Jonathan, I'm also Jonathan. So. Hi. Yeah, I've, I've, I, I really agree with you with the with the Meta Hackathon. Um, I used to work in various energy companies um, on a more sort of data side, and what I used to find there was that all the databases that were made to hold, you know, the huge amounts of purchasing data and operational data and so on, hadn't been built by people who had any idea how data was going to be used. And so as a result, when um, uh, data analysts or data scientists came along, the data was borderline useless. Mm -hmm. Like most of it was, you just chucked out. Um, and and that really is, I think, a, a large step towards solving that is, as you say, a meta hackathon. And I, I know that the, I think the mayor's office has got some sort of digital London board or data London mm -hmm. board. And I think that's a really good first step. But I, one of my concerns with that when I heard about it was that it did seem a sort of great and the good of London, sort of CEOs, CTOs, high-ranking academics, and those people don't actually work with data. Mm. So they can have a, definitely a, a sort of strategic overview, but when it comes to, yeah, but is it actually useful? Is it actually usable? I think that's, that's not really a conversation they can, they can have so well. I mean, you've reminded me of an event I went to out of, when I was traveling for something else, but I went to a, um, the, a data hackathon, uh, which they have as a regular series in Chicago. Um, and they, it's got a lot of nerds, but what was really interesting was that the range of people in the room, so there are people who go every month and are building projects and so on. They get together, they have the pizza and all the traditions, but looking around the room, there were ordinary citizens from the Chicago area, there were uh, there was a representative from Microsoft. There was somebody from the mayor's office. Um, there were people from local government, other than the mayor's office. Um, and there were students, PhD, other, doing stuff with data. Uh, and I thought this was a great agglomeration. So they do two or three presentations, and then they break off and go and do their various continuing projects. So this was a great example of how there was buy-in, and you can get it. And it's open, you can just register online and turn up, 
and it's and their and their proceedings are online. And you can find out what they've been doing, and that sort of thing doesn't exist even at a level for London. I would you know you would imagine a sort of London, a regular hackathon. There are lots of little ones, um, and they do them for their own little purposes. But there's something as big as let's look after the city of Chicago, um, and but with that representatives of, of you know big companies and ordinary people and the mayor and so on. That's, that's sort of what's been at the back of my mind, that we need something like that here. Otherwise, it's just people talking to the converted all the time. And that's not going to help. No, I want one. Which is, um, which is what the, the sort of conversation about data literacy and if you build it, will they come kind of thing. And, and, and sort of the role of journalists and how journalists interact with open data. And I think in, in I think journalists now are under sort of more pressure to become sort of mini data scientists or whatever. And in a lot of ways, I think that's really unfair because uh, like d data wrangling is no trivial matter. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty serious. And uh, I don't think it's something that anyone ever really gets the hang of. And, and in, when you look at the .gov data sets, a lot of them are okay. Um, in in many ways, data.gov.uk is 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 really good, and in other ways, it's horrible. Like a lot of the data sets you were showing, I, I wouldn't even know how to find them if I was looking. I thought the pistol mm. rack was actually quite interesting, but um, you know, it's it's yeah. got a pretty ropey way of finding data sets, and not all the data sets that are released by the government are actually on there. And you know, you want to get the VOA tax tax, um, whatever it's, business rates, it's almost impossible to find, you know, and there's this, in some ways it's sort of like we're half we're there yeah. and we're half not. And, and when you're in that kind of a situation, um, people who, who aren't really sort of comfortable programming and dealing with complex data sets, I think it's, it's quite a challenge for them to, yeah. to, to make that step. So in, in some ways I'm saying like, I think journalists should be given a bit of a softer softer time and but should be encouraged to no but i think they should write about it like the economist did you know two years ago i think journalists should you shouldn't push them too hard but they you know people should be talking about data people should be knowing i think it's quietly scandalous that all that gift and hospitality data has been brushed away again um i think in a, a bigger perhaps even before your the the, the alleged meta hackathon while you were speaking, I was thinking, well, maybe the answer is to say, actually, pretend that, okay, it was all an experiment up to now. We're going to stop. We're going to scrap it. And we're going to start again. Because you, know, you, you, could, you could probably do a better job of starting again, knowing what everybody is going to use and not use and want and not want, than you would if you just tried to reform what's there. But you said you had an answer. Did you, was there anything more you wanted to? No, that, that, okay. that was the more. Thank <laughs> you. That's fine. Any other questions? My name is Ingrid. I'm a journalist. I work in Estonia, Tallinn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to add to your um, statement that uh, as a journalist, I find it very hard very often to find the data that I'm looking for. And very often I'm just like, oh, someone give me a solution to finding uh, things. And also it's, it's kind of hard in my own home country mm. uh, to you find. very little. I know. Yeah, I, I did a training session in Tallinn last year. Really? For a different re I was there for something else, but they, I said, oh, let's do a training session. And it was only at the end of the day that I realized just how little data is there. If you look on the, the uh, portal for Estonian government, it's not much. It's you, almost more, you have more luck if you deal with EU data as a whole. 
yeah. than, if, than if you deal with, it's just, it doesn't seem that the Estonian government has really got into releasing data in a big, in a big way. No, they haven't. So that is a huge problem. But, but then could you, you don't have to reform it all. You could just get it right now. Yeah. So uh, what would be your suggestion? What, what should change in a small country like Estonia in order for journalists like me and others uh, to make it a little bit easier for us to find data? and uh, to kind of have a, that kind of a discussion because I don't think we really have, uh, we're having a data discussion at do all. Do you have a freedom of information law? Yeah, yeah, we do. Well, the way is to, is to get all journalists to use that in such, a, in such a way that the people releasing that data, so you use it to get data, not just emails or whatever, get data, and you use it so heavily mm. that the government says, oh, hang on a minute, we might as well just release this because we've now got 5,000 requests or you know, we keep being asked the same question every month or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so you, you use freedom of information to force them to release open data because um, there is a big crossover between these two all over the world that, that I think some smart governments are saying, oh, we hardly need a FOI if we just release the data. And then there's another more controversial one, which is, Oh, if you, as a journalist, ask me, a minister, let's say, for, um, for some data, and I release it, I don't just release it to you, I release it onto the web, and I announce that I've done it. So your scoop, because you thought you were going to get all this amazing data about what's going on in my ministry, I say, certainly, England, here you are, have it all. But I'm, I'm now announcing that in a press release, and everybody else can have it as well. So all your competitors, as journalists, get the same deal. Now, that's being mentioned in the States, it's being mentioned in... Uh, in connection with reform of the FOI in Britain. Um, so don't go there. <laughs> don't let them go there. But I think use FOI to force them to open data. And I'm surprised that there's an awful lot of European Union members have done proper opening up of data. Uh, and I'm, I was just very surprised that, that Estonia, where you've got you know, e-citizenship and everything, so you think it's going to be a really techno-savvy, techno, techno yeah. technophile um, country, and there's not much open data at all. Uh, and yet countries which are not particularly open, like Croatia, um, have got quite a lot of open data. And I don't, so it's, it's, it's something about willpower. And then the thing is, because there isn't much, and you start from, from now, they can avoid all the mistakes other people have made, including the ones I've been talking about, and just say, go on, open it up. Just, just everything you've got, just let it come out. Which is what, on a micro level for Britain, but probably bigger than the population of Estonia total, is Transport for London decided to open up their data and they took a big risk and said, oh, okay, we just open it up. And they opened it up and, and they didn't know what people were going to do with it. But they've done some interesting things with it and you know, it's working and you just have to have that big step. So in a relatively small country, just say, open the doors, just open it. Let's have the nodding donkey of data and you know, make Estonia suddenly jump in front of everybody else. That's your challenge for when you get home. Thanks, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Thank you. I think um, it's time to round it up now. So thanks a lot, Jonathan. Um, join us again next week um, because we're talking about news. Some people who have been very much in the news recently are Leasehold uh, Knowledge Partnership. And they'll be talking about how they've made 2.1 million homes appear. So please join us again for that. But can we thank Jonathan again? And thanks for coming. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.